0: Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. Today we have with us a interesting guy that's done a lot of different things in real estate prior to getting to where he is now, which is disrupting the senior living space. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Shepard Premier Senior Living. He's also a passive income expert. And on a personal level, an elite travel baseball coach, which is interesting to me because a few years back, that was our life with our older son uh, in communities all over Northern California. Uh, he is Brandon Schwab. Brandon, welcome to Street Smart Success. Excellent. Thank you for having me, sir. So Brandon, you are north of Chicago by, I don't know, 45 minutes or thereabouts. Are you a native of Illinois? Uh, is that where you're from originally or did you move from somewhere else? What was the what's the, the early childhood Brandon story?
1: Yeah, so I was I was on an army base um, down in Tennessee down at Fort. I was down at Fort. Campbell, um, which is down in Tennessee from the age of birth until about four years old. All of us came up to so Illinois when I was about five years old. So I just turned 40. So I've been here for 35 years. Got it.
0: And And you look great. Thank you, sir. <laughs> you are welcome. So do you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, listen, it's all this, you know, aging cream that I apply before I go to bed every night. (laughs) Um, so, so, so tell me this. How, what, what did you do out of school? Like, uh, pre, pre real estate stuff.
1: I started a car and boat detail company when I was a about 15 years old, when I got out of high school, I decided to do that full time. And I did that for about 14 years and I finally closed it in 2010. That business kind of taught me how to operate a company, but it also taught me that I didn't during all of that. I thought that I owned a actual, I thought I owned something, right? But a thing that I found out was I didn't own any type of asset. Because I didn't have anything at the end of it, so that taught me that by 2010, I need to find out how to get into owning a asset that that can actually that you were able to own afterwards. You know, as I was out there doing cars and also so RVs, I didn't have anything that people would, could actually own or be able to purchase from us.
0: They couldn't have. Uh, well, do you mean like an end acquirer of the business? You mean or? Yeah. So at the end of it, I thought I would put it
1: up for sale and I could have people purchase it for um, a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars, but people could get into it too easy that they didn't ever, they didn't ever do that. And at the end of it, I was like, I just put 14 years into this company that I thought that I owned something, right? I thought that I did that, but it, it, I kind of found out by the end of it that by the end of it, I didn't, I, didn't actually own anything. I was owned from this company that took 50 to 80 hours each week. And at the end of it, I didn't actually own anything. So that was a huge curve that taught me that I need to do some things.
0: Uh, so I needed to change some things. You, you and I'm I own you and I have at least one thing in common I'm sure many more but it's it's <laughs> the, the, you and I both it, it takes us a while to learn things and I'm not going to go into it but yeah I get it look it, look you, you, you only know what you know and um you put one foot in front of the other and and you know yeah I get it and did this uh business have employees oh yeah 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 how many?
1: I had I had upwards of probably at the peak of it, I probably had 10 employees, 10 to 12. I was in charge of everyone. I was out there going 70 to 80 hours per week. And a thing that kind of happened was as our oldest kid, he was like four, four and a half years old. He was trying to play, he was playing his first in-house team playing baseball when he was four. And so I quickly figured out that I didn't have time to actually be as active as I was hoping because I was constantly out doing things. And I said, you know, this is this is crazy. I need to find something that I can be actively that isn't going to have me put in 80 hours each week. And that was the point that kind of pushed me over the edge to like, I need to do something different. Um,
0: this is crazy. When I was a. Kid, uh, my stepfather owned a uh, Chevrolet dealer, and one time I wanted to make a little bit of extra money, and I and, and I told him I wanted to do some work for him, and so a friend of mine in the neighborhood and I went to the dealership, and um, he had us detailing cars on the showroom, and uh, I lasted about an hour. Um and that was it. <laughs> that's hard work. That is, is that's got, that's got to be a hard business just cuz the work is hard. I would imagine just keeping employees. I mean, I I go to the car wash now and I and I and I give these guys, you know, a tip and they're always surprised cuz I'm like that is just the hardest work. I mean, talking about elbow grease and I'm sure there's better equipment than there was back then, but even still yeah. that is hard work. So for sure. How, so what what did you do after that Brandon in 2010? Well, 2010
1: was post the 2008 thing that happened, right? But a thing that was great though is uh, cuz I was in the business doing cars, boats and also the people that typically paid us are people that owned things, right? And I would always talk to them and a thing that I found was a bulk of them probably 80 percent of them earned all of their cash from purchasing assets, right? So I would hear it over and over and over and I began doing property preservation for them in 2010. And then I figured out how to um wholesale in 2010 and by 2012 I said this is cool, but I need to figure out how to own assets, right? So I had good active income but I did not have any Passive income. So, 2012, I began to build a portfolio of homes. By the end of 2014, I had 23 homes, and I thought I had it all figured out. Right? I thought I had 23 homes. I was profiting $200 each per home, two to three hundred dollars, and I thought I was. I had it all figured out, and then I had one tenant that I had to evict. That it was just a pretty ugly process, right? Her kid clogged all three, three toilets and the finish the finish downstairs backed up with like poop. And that was it for me. Like that pushed me over the edge. And I said, you know, I need to get into something else. Like this isn't gonna be for me. And that's when I discovered
0: what I do today. It was in July of twenty fourteen. So what you do today is senior living. So how do you you get from single family homes to senior living? You could have gone and done apartments or mobile home parks or any number of other things.
1: Well, so if I can take you guys back to maybe 2008, my grandpa had a stroke. So he was a key person that I had um, because our father passed when I was only two and a half. So his... Dad and I were very close, and when he was getting older and he got um, sick, it was a, a hard time for us. And he went to a typical 200 bed type building, and he didn't get very good care. So I didn't have a very good first, so a first exposure to the over to the overall industry because he got terrible care, and I hated it. About seven or eight um, years later. I was down in Florida and I discovered a home that had five people in it. So that's how that, that got kind of connected is Kelly's dad, our father in law plays the piano at the old folks home 328 times per year for $35. We would always go to like these huge type places, 100 to 200 people. And I hated to go because it always took me back to the day that I didn't have a very very a very good experience with our family members but this time it was in July of 14 we were in a home and to be honest I have never been in a home before that cared for the elderly I'm typically in these huge places that have a pretty terrible odor inside the the overall atmosphere isn't good cuz there's hundreds of people. And the average caregiver has to care for 20 to 30 people each. This time I'm in a house and I'm going arms here. I have the arms. And then I just go, what is this place? It has fire protection and there's five people in here and it didn't have the odor. So I talked to the person in charge and I said, hey, how much do people pay to be in here? Like 1,500 or 2,000 each month? She did this like I thing and then this girl's answer was, huh? And just kind of kept on walking. And I was like, Kelly, this girl didn't even answer me. And I was just like, what type of answer was that? So I ended up calling her and I said, hey, could you tell me? Because that just whole evening, just my brain was just like spinning.
0: Is, is, and, is
1: Kelly your wife? Mm-hmm. Okay, go a, got it. Got it. I have been together with Kelly now for 15 years. We have two two kids. And uh, I call this girl and I go, hey, I was probably too high. Could you tell me how much they actually pay? And and this girl goes, Brandon, I feel terrible. I thought you were only just kidding because they begin at 5200 a month. My head literally exploded. I was <laughs> like, are you telling me that there's 26000 of total income in this house that's 2,800 feet. I couldn't handle it. And and the whole time going home, we were driving home from Florida, which is about 25 hours. I do have two kids that tend to take... They tend to take turns every other exit. It takes us like <laughs> 25 to about 28 hours for us to get home. But pulling a 33-foot boat, I'm the only one that was able to do that. So. So, so I bet you we were in Tennessee somewhere or Kentucky. And I figured out quickly that those homes, their expenses were only totaling up to maybe $15,000 per month. And I said, holy crap. This This is, this is better than 200 in profit a month for a house. I figured, holy crap. That house with expenses, payroll, everything that I was able to add up. And I think I even added 20 percent everything. Couldn't top 15,000. And I said, holy cow, that house is clearing over 10,000 per month. That was 2x everything that I was able to earn by 23 houses. And I said, holy cow, this house is outperforming our whole entire portfolio that took me four years to build two times a month. And I said, I need to get into that. That's cool. Plus, the overall atmosphere in these homes was totally it didn't have the typical odor. It didn't have the, so like overall atmosphere that was like every person asking
0: for like help, you know, like help, help, help. Um, I hated that. So. Interesting. Okay, man. I mean, look, uh, I, I get it. <laughs> I, I get it. I guess so. So, where did you do your first one, and in, in when? I, and did you go ahead and kind of like it was a light bulb? Let's sell all twenty three homes, take our chips off the table, and and start one of these. Did you buy one? Did you start one? Where is it? All that stuff.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I didn't tell you is I founded a group of investors that would get to gather every about thirty days, and it and. I went to our upcoming event and I got in front of everyone and I said, Hey guys, I've got 23 homes for sale. So who's interested? It was dead quiet. (laughs) People are like, is he kidding? Is he joking? And I ended up being able to pair off 22 of those in about 32 days. The first house I bought was uh, a house that was 4,800 feet. Um, We bought it for $250,000. It was on the MLS for 500. So we offered uh, cash for half, closed in about two months, and we closed on it October 31st, uh, 2014. We got approvals and permits April of 2015, and I finished it and opened it September of 15. One of the things that was cool is this house was in a town of 832 people. So if I could approve it in a town of 832 people, we could do it pretty much anywhere because this town had the average household income was 80 to 85,000, but it was in an area that there was barely any people. This particular property I bought was 4,800 feet, it was on three acres, and we put about $550,000 into the house. What was really cool was our all in was about 800,000. And then what happened was we had the house appraised later in 2018. Guess how much that house came back at because, so I filled it in, in February of 17. And then in 2018, we appraised it and it appraised at $1.8 million. Is that
0: because of the income in the business? Yes. Okay, okay, I see. Hey, Street Smart listeners, I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and, therefore, can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, Vice President, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467-5909. You'll be glad you did.
1: Because that house, we had 10 people in there. And each of those 10 people, our private bedrooms, I was getting 6,000 each month, our double bedrooms that have two people in each room. I was getting five thousand for an average of about fifty five hundred each. Um, we were getting a total income of about fifty five thousand by all ten people. So the thing that I did was I took the concept that I was that I found down in Florida and I times it by two. So I felt five people per home was good if you were going to be the sort of like owner operator. But I um, knew that that isn't how I was going to do it. So I took it times two, and, and in this first house, I had four private bedrooms, and then I had three bedrooms that I put two people in each. So I had ten people total. And what does that one put to the bottom line? That house? Well, our total income was fifty five thousand. Our expenses were mm-hmm. okay. Our, and then our expenses were twenty eight to like thirty two thousand each month. -hmm. So I was able to clear twenty to twenty-two thousand each month after expenses. Good for you.
0: Not not a bad. Have
1: you have you have you ever seen a home clear twenty thousand dollars per month? Yeah, no. If you were able to compare that to a twenty-four unit apartment building, we outperform it about five times per
0: month. What's the employment infrastructure there? Well, I know you have more now, so maybe there's maybe you've got some people that are purposed across your portfolio. But I guess answer it. I, I guess when you started before you had your second one, what was the infrastructure? Yeah.
1: yeah. So we had 10 people per home. And um when I had 10 people in each home, I would have two care team on there full time from seven AM till 10 PM. And then I'd have like one care person over the evening time, and then I'd have an RN come in part-time. They would come in about three hours per day. This was back before COVID, this was back in 2015. So so I had a, a part-time person coming in to do that. Fast forward to today, things have been able to change. You do have to have a full-time RN per home now. And I do have overhead that is over all of our homes. But the found of our whole offer is to do it in a home, but offer awesome to offer the type of care that people ought to have. And our aim is to have a care giver to every five to eight people compared to the our alternative competition is a caregiver to every 20 to 30 people. Do you think you would get very good care if each? Caregiver has to care for twenty to thirty people, or do you think? Or do you think you would
0: get awesome care if a if they have to care for five to eight people? Very simple. Well, especially yeah. I mean, with this this community, but for anybody, I mean, uh, fewer people per the ratio is better. Are these private pay or this? Is this uh, yes? It's, it's all private pay.
1: Well, with the so exception, I've got about seven percent of our clients have a um, so long term. Care that is going to be covered through the so insurance got long term um, care insurance that, yep if anyone does not have that that's an awesome thing to get because so like healthcare is going to be very so expensive and our average cost today is about six thousand to about sixty five hundred today in five years ten years it's only going to go up up and up so. That's a good thing to have
0: with long term care. And that's a whole this is a whole other podcast, but I've looked at it because despite my youthful looks, I'm actually uh, encroaching <laughs> upon being an old man. Some would argue I already am, but but um <laughs> it is um, and I've looked at getting it like a couple few times over the last, let's say, ten years thinking ahead, blah, blah, blah. And my recollection is that but they could raise the premium any given, like any given year, I think. And I'm like, well, why would I do that? Why don't I just buy it then sometime down the road? Is that change or is, is- the problem? Is if you hold
1: off too long, you're gonna be paying a higher yeah. cost for it. And then they have to kind of earn that back, which is gonna cost you a higher price. Plus, a thing that has changed today is um the clip that they do today that's different is they offer some plans that can double as insurance and also this we're back before it was kind of either or where if you were if you had anything happen you paid in all of that cash and didn't ever have anything to you where there are plans today now that um you can get five hundred thousand. 800,000 that kind of pays you back if you pass before you
0: have to use it. I see that that sounds equitable. And, uh, you you, you have encouraged me to look into that, which I'm going to do. Um, good. So, yeah. So, and you know, on the website, it looks like you have five communities now, or is it? And by the way, is part of your is part of your strategy to be in these small towns where you're like the only one? That isn't
1: part of it, but I think that's kind of how things end up t- to happen because I do have to have homes that are going to be about 5,000 feet plus. And typically you can't find those homes in any downtown area. Yeah, I got it. And the part that's even harder is that 5,000 feet has to be on the very first floor, too. So
0: that is even harder to find. Yeah, that makes all that. Those, okay. So it, it kind of by default, it wound up into that. But then, right. then, lo and behold, there you are. You're the only game in town. Uh, yeah. Is a, is a, okay? And so, so how many do you have? And like, what was the progression? It's a great story. I got to tell you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so
1: fast forward to today. Um, so I tell you that COVID definitely held up the plan to expand. Our plan was to have 30 homes by 2022, and we we currently have. Five homes. We have two homes that are opening the first quarter of 2023, and I have 7.2 acres of land in Huntley that we are going to we are going to be able to build um, six homes, twenty beds each. That is next to a property that has five thousand five hundred homes that are all 55 plus, touching us. How incredible is that? Yeah, so, perfect. Our plan was to expand, but with COVID, the cost to have those homes built was able to go up from 15.5 million to over 25 million. I decided we're going to hold off on that and we are going to keep doing everything that all of us have. We've been converting properties for the past eight years. That takes time. So, we are currently, we have a fund now and we are purchasing, we're purchasing properties that are up and also operational at a 14%. We'll buy at a 14 to 15% cap rate up front. We will close with cash and then we will do takeoff financing at an eight percent cap rate. I so like I just it. turn dollars over and over.
0: How are you getting these things at a fourteen percent cap? Paying cash, closing quickly. Nice. And
1: so I also find that there is not a ton of people trying to purchase them, which is great for us. Cause these homes are typically too tiny for the huge coast to coast type operators. They go, yeah, 10 beds, 15 beds, yeah. <laughs> for us though, we have
0: the appetite to buy 30 each year. Man alive. Over. Good for you. Uh Thank you, what's sir. what's yeah, what's the size of the fund? How much money are our, you raising and all that? Our fund is twenty five million dollars. It is expandable up to
1: fifty million. With um, things potentially crashing, with our f- federal keep on being able to have, they keep on being able to print like three hundred per day, with inflation being eight point five percent. I feel that p- people are looking for a tangible asset to put cash, and it has to outpace an eight point five percent. And we are we are able to offer that. So. We are a good asset class that is a good combo between on um, healthcare and the actual asset underneath, kind of partnered up together. So, um, our fund is is currently um, it's a five oh six C. We are currently bringing in twenty five million with expandable up to uh, about fifty million. So, I've got uh, about five portfolios that we are target. I've got five million. In our fund today, um, we actually just went out to buy a portfolio, and we actually got the owner to carry back financing under three uh, percent. So we we are gonna we are gonna purchase that property with the owner carrying. And how many facilities are in that portfolio? That that portfolio is forty six total. There's two homes, forty six total like beds. But a thing that's cool is they're hundred
0: percent occupied. Why is he Why is he selling them? And is is there, is this a going in cap at fourteen on this deal? Yeah. So this deal, they are older.
1: So one is sixty nine, and the other is seventy. And a thing that's great is they brought me a friend of theirs that has forty eight total beds. I am I am talking to him tomorrow, and he's also going to carry the financing on that one too. That's 48 total beds. Uh, and and that guy's got 38 out of 48 of his are currently occupied. So we are, we are going to buy over 80 total and I didn't even have to use our fund. So if I had to buy each of them, they'd be about 4.5 million each. And we didn't even have to use our fund. So the target is to have our fund fully funded so, so that I could go pay... Cash quickly to purchase these assets because if I can add ninety six beds to our current portfolio, we would be able to two exit so like overnight, and to purchase at a fourteen percent cap, and then for us to hold it for about six to twelve, and then do take off financing
0: at an eight percent cap rate, we are doing we are doing pretty good right there. What is the, uh, well, I guess a bunch of questions. First of all, to just back up a sec, uh, did you guys in the homes you had in 2020, did you guys lose, uh, residents to COVID? No. Got it. None.
1: Hmm. A, a thing that all of us found was that COVID kind of exploited the industry for how terrible it is. And it exploited it when it was on the front page that at the top, I heard about 42% of people that were in the industry that passed from COVID were in these homes that were 100 to 200 beds that they could not control COVID from coming in. And as soon as it did come in, they couldn't control it from just going from person to person to person. We closed our doors back in April. So we didn't have any person path. In fact, we didn't have our first COVID case until December 23rd, 2022 or 2020 so and we did not have anybody pass from it at all
0: which is great yeah for sure so these these homes the the homes you're doing or the 46 bed portfolio built in 69 and 70 what kind of the people who are the people that are the two people that opened it they are older So they, uh, when they're 69 and 70, okay. I thought like they were built in 1960. Okay. I got it. Okay. Which makes sense. I don't think these facilities were like around back then. (laughs) What, What kind of deferred maintenance is there? When, when, when were they built? So
1: the places that have, I would say the occupancy over 85%, those places are typically in very good, condition. There are times that I will purchase properties that have the occupancies at like 50%. Those are places that the deferred upkeep is pretty high. But when a place is at 50% occupancy, I can get it for a very, very good cost, where if, if that portfolio would be worth 10 million full, At fifty percent occupancy, I could buy it for four and a half million. So cost. So after our team is after our team is able to go in there, fill them up, we can add value of about five point five million dollars by purchasing those. So our our whole purpose of our fund is to to buy about fifty percent that are going to be over eighty five percent. The other part, the other fifty percent, is to purchase portfolios that have the Overall occupancy of a, a about 50%. Those two together earn us very good cash. So each
0: month, and it, it also gives us the overall upside as well. You sound very methodical and, and rational and strategic about the way you're going about it. It's pretty, pretty impressive. Thank you. Uh, out of, out of you're welcome. Out of curiosity, do you have a mentor that you work with? I mean, that, that's helping you formulate your goals, or do you? Is, is you just doing this all on your own? Or um, I jump
1: in and I take the so like action, and then I quickly figure out: did that action turn out awesome, or did that turn out bad? And then I will quickly go, "Hey, time out, change." And then, so I find people tend to over think things oftentimes and they take forever to ever take action. I'm kind of the opposite, but I will be like boom in and then I'll go hey, things are going great, or I have to probably do things a tad bit and that's kind of how I've gone. It has been tough the first couple so of years where I had to kind of so I'd
0: learn the hard way. <laughs> but um so you you, and, shoot, you shoot first and aim later. Yeah, that's the way I am.
1: Yes. And this past year, I actually had a deal that I didn't get done and I was buying a portfolio of about, um, seven homes and they had great cash flow. The cash flow they had was like incredible. They had 55 total people. Their average person was 8,000 per month and I was doing the SBA financing. They didn't fund in time. So I um, lost the deal and it ended up actually costing me 85,000 because our attorney, bill that I had done over this five months was 125000 And I thought that was going to be paid in the overall ending closing. But when they got an offer that was $1.5 million, um, over ours, so they were buying at like a 10% cap rate. So I was buying it at a 14%. What happened was um, they took the other offer. And then I had 30 days to bring in $12.5 million, And I didn't get it done. That cost me $85,000 because I had to get the a attorney down from $125,000 down to $85,000. And I didn't have anything for that other than Brandon. This just cost you $85,000. Don't do that ever again. So that's the day that I got out of operations full time and I, and I focused on being able to open up our fund. And that was August, 2021 so i focused on that and i finally got our fun paperwork completed like april of 2022 and we are just bringing in capital beginning in about july of 2022 now first of all how, how did you get the attorney bill down well i told them that i don't have it first of all and i said well i can pay you ten thousand each month for 8.5 months and they said all right and that's how all of us were able to do that one but Anytime you pay 85,000 and don't get anything. So you have to ask yourself, like, what did I learn here? <laughs> How could I don't have to do this over? Cause that was a painful one. I don't think I've ever paid 85,000 and didn't get anything for it. Nothing this year taught me though. And that's what I basically paid for. It. So if you think the cost of, so if you think the cost of college is going to be costly, try not having the answers and just doing things the hard way. It tends to be pretty it tends to be pretty costly.
0: (laughs) And in in terms of the the the, uh, properties you're going to be acquiring in the fund, uh, what's the geographic footprint?
1: So at first we wanted them in our so area, I would say Chicagoland was our first target, but I expanded the target for our fund to um, Central part of the country that would include. So I would include so bigger areas such as St. Paul, St. Louis, Kansas City, in so Indy, particularly a town called, there's a town there called right outside of Indy called, I think it is Carmel, that the average household income is 135,000. We want to go to Columbus. Cleveland, all of those areas. And our aim is to put 30 homes per area. We are going to purchase 24 homes per year in this fund. Just wow, man. Purchasing,
0: turning, purchasing, turning, purchasing, turning. First of all, do you have, you said, you know, what you learned about being two in the operations. Do you now have like a CEO or a general manager, whatever the title is of somebody that... Yes,
1: yes. Yep. Um, I had her come on last june july time she came on as an ed she took a forty five thousand dollar pay cut to come over and when i got out of operations in august i bumped her up to chief of 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 ops and she's been fantastic for us um i can describe her as literally the complete like opposite so of me She's got checklists for just everything. Checklists for just checklists. Very A very good person to handle um, ops. I found that I didn't have a um, healthcare history. So I was kind of like trying to figure things out as things were going on. And I didn't add anything. In fact, I probably actually hurt operations because I didn't have any clue how to kind of handle that. So I chose to get out of of ops and kind of turn it over to her and that was the top thing i could have ever been able to do and how did you find her we placed an ad on indeed uh for seventy thousand dollars and we had hundreds of people that came out and this gal just connected it with us her um heart she was at a big corporate place that had 100 to 200 plus beds she filled her place during COVID. And she just hated how they were caring for the folks there, and just kind of felt that once she came to talk with us, she instantly our all of us got close because her heart and our
0: heart it was boom quickly. Got it. Very man. very Con- fast. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Welcome. How are you financing these? What kind of debt? How am I purchasing properties? Well, you're buying cash, but then you're but then you're you know for cash, but then you're doing long. You're financing them, right? So yeah, uh, what what kind of loan products?
1: Um, So a thing that I do is I get about eighty per an eighty percent LTV from. I'm getting offers from people in the area. They are the easiest ones. A thing that they give me is they give me a twenty five year AM. They give me a five year term and they will give me about five to five and a half percent type like, rates. I am able to do that up front. And then our end product is an FHA product that's backed by the federal government that takes about 10 to 12 so like months to get in. Uh, but that's a 35 to 40 year AM. It's a perm um, loan sub threes. And that's an FHA program backed by the federal government. It's called the 232 LEAN program. That is, by 2050, they have to add 600,000 places just to keep up with the elder count. And this FHA program is only for places that have 100 beds plus. And it's a very good takeout program, but it takes time. So our top plan with our fund is that I use our fund to close in about 5 days to about 10 days. And then I do takeout financing within about the first 3 months. That pays all of those funds back to our fund. And then I just keep doing it over and over and over. And then our end takeout plan is to put all of these homes collectively together to add up to um, 100, 200, 300 plus... Total beds as a huge portfolio. So the thing that I am basically able to do here is I am I am basically purchasing portfolios, putting them under our opco, and then I'm doing takeout financing on all of them collectively. Because after these two portfolios, I'll have 165 beds total. That's different than 80. The type of capital that I can get at 100 and Um, 65 is completely cheaper. It is easier to get. It does take time though. So there's kind of like a three phase plan. Cash to purchase things, things quickly. I do takeout financing about three months to about six months. And then I do the end takeout financing, the the 35 to 40 year perm loan in about um, year two or three. So that's our, And plans, just take up financing, take up financing. And then I would just cash flow it for um, years. I will entertain offers in 2030 or 2035 for the Opco part of our whole company, probably private equity, private, like hedge fund. If anyone wants to buy the Opco, that will be up for sale in 2035. We are going to hold the assets underneath though, the tangible assets only if I can get a 10 to 12x of cash flow.
0: And to go back a half a step uh, at this juncture in terms of you know acquiring these facilities, let's say 40, 50 beds, 60 beds uh, what's the competitive landscape in terms of people acquiring these? I know you very few very few. This industry is full
1: of so like mom and people who, have a home or two, maybe three, and they are in there every day, put in 80 hours so each week. So there's very few companies that are trying to target this 10 to 20 person type house, because that's all our fund will purchase. So as I tell you, we are purchasing a portfolio that has 48 total. They have three homes, 16 people each that's the only avenue that I can purchase these homes because it has to fit the boutique type the boutique type feel that's the only asset class that I could put cash into and our our very first fund is they have to have cash flow and they have to have the occupancy from 50 percent up to like 85 plus they can't be empty I have to have cash flow because people, that I've talked to in our family offices, they are trying to find cash flow quickly and they are looking for tax perks too. So I can help them in each of them. And and I can also do takeout financing quickly. In comparison, if I purchase a home and turn it into this purpose, it takes me about 1.5 years to get it fully cash flowing. And that hold time isn't for everyone. There are going to be investors that are fine with holding for two, three, five, ten years. Some investors are looking for cash flow quickly, so they can feel comfortable in the asset class. Which during COVID, I felt that I had a higher percentage of people that are asking for cash flow quickly. So I opened
0: our first fund towards that. Got it. My goodness. Are there any uh, other funds that you know of that are acquiring, you know, properties, you know, with ten to twenty residents? No. Yeah, I, I believe it. I I, I yeah. get it, man. Wow, thank you.
1: Well, yeah, it's a thing that I do that I don't feel. So I was at a fall conference at the NIC conference in the fall, just before COVID hit. Right, it was October downtown. There was every person in this whole. There was people to give out cash. There was everyone there. People who are able to own. 50, 200 of these assets. There was giant people, right? And they had an MIT professor there who was talking to 3,000 of us. And he was able to tell all of us with a picture of the four golden girls, right? He told all of us, the future of this industry isn't so um, huge. It is tiny homes. No one heard it. I had to like get up and go, yes because he was talking that our homes are going to take over the overall so like overall industry. I feel like we are if you compare it to the taxi industry, right? The taxi they had everything comfortable, right? They didn't have to do anything because they pretty much owned it, right? Until a company came and changed it all upside down because they had a very good idea and they figured out how to use these phones to turn the whole so like industry totally upside down. I feel like we are that company that's changing a industry that needs to be changed. If you are older, if you think that you would get great care at a place with 100 to 200 people, you probably don't think so, right? People probably hate to go there. We are changing all of that, turning it totally upside down. So I feel like our fund is so like the so like Uber of this type of industry, right? Just totally turn it it and after I have 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 of these homes, people are going to begin hearing because I pay 10% of the total income of each home towards the overhead, right? And when I have 80 homes paying in 10% of 60,000 each month, I'm going to purchase advertising packages that are huge TV, billboard, and then I'll be able to get out there. As I'm able to get to 200 homes, 300 homes, we'll be coast to coast and people are going to go, Who is this guy? Who is this guy that has these little homes? And they will hear of us over and over. So that's how we are going to change this industry. So for any family office that is able to hear this, this is a good place for you to put your portfolio. If you you can get 20% of your portfolio in. This so like asset class. This is a good place for um you guys to be because it was the top performing asset class during the um last crash in two thousand and eight. It outperformed apartment, office, every other asset class. It outperformed them by almost six percent to investors. That's uh, from two thousand five through two thousand fifteen.
0: Yeah, because it's so needs driven. You can't uh, that th- it's. That there's there's no elasticity in the needs you, you can't do without it when you get to that point, point. Um, and the funds that
1: typically pay for it are typically older funds, so they are there. They are not affected by things going up. Things are able to go down. You know, like it's just older funds, and as as they have to have fun or as they have to as they have to have help, we are we are always there to help them in a very cozy atmosphere. Which is an easier transfer compared to a big place that's 100 to 200 people is typically, um, a hundred thousand feet to 200,000 feet. It's a very inst, a very institutional
0: cold type place. All right. I'm going to ask one more question that has absolutely nothing to do with anything <laughs> we've discussed before. It's a, it's a deeply personal question. And, uh, okay. So my dad, like you, died when I was a very little kid. I was actually six, Mm. and you said two and a half. So here's my question, I, because I've yet to figure this out in my own life. How how did that affect you, your dad dying at such a young age? My dad flew a OH-58
1: chopper in the Army. He was the first one killed in 84. And I didn't ever talk with him. I was just a kid, but everyone I talked to on that tells me he was an awesome person and I don't have any thoughts of him but I got brought up in a household from an independent female that was really on her own and that gave me a different perspective that I think differently towards females and I will honor them but but also I have a different level of kim passion for, I think, this industry that I might um, not have if I was brought up differently. She owned her her own company. And when I was 5 years old, I would travel all over. And that exposed me to owning your own company. And from an age of 5, I just knew that I was going to own a company. I just didn't have any clue what I was going to do, but I was always looking for a purpose that I could help people or change things. Because when I detailed cars, I didn't feel like I had any purpose doing that. It felt empty. I was able to do cars, but if they didn't pay me, they would just find a other person to do that. I feel like today we opened up our Opco with a purpose that I don't know if I would have been able to hear those like little things because I wouldn't have been as open or I wouldn't have a heart that that would have been as open to hear. So that is a very personal question. And it's funny because when I opened up the company, I didn't even um, know why I truly did it until about two years later. And I hired a guy named Frank Curtin to come in and help us implement the EOS process into our company. And he was at an off-site event and he was asking us, why did you do this? right? Why are you here? And when he asked me, I gave the typical answer that I give. And he goes, so I don't think so. Keep going. He just kept digging. And he began peeling back the onion. And he actually got me bawling straight out crying and i've got to be careful because i can kind of feel it coming on where so i figured out because of our father's dad that he got such bad care where when he had a stroke when he was 85 he could not talk anymore right and uh when he had to have help we uh pulled the pull cord and they didn't come five minutes ten minutes goes by 15 minutes, like I'm getting like irritated. Like 20 minutes, I feel terrible, but I just lost my crap. Like I went and found two caregivers and I guarantee you I was the biggest asshole to them because I was like, do your job. Like um, you have to come and help. I thought that I was helping him. And if it wasn't for all of that, I don't know if I would be here today because if I did not bump into Kelly. If I did not have this upbringing, I don't know if I would be anywhere at the place that I am today, which having a father pass when you're only two and a half, like you don't have the answer to like how this would happen and how could that happen to you personally? But after all of these years, I mean, I'm 40 this year. I'm turning 41. Like I get to um, look back and go, I don't think I would be. Who I am today, if I didn't have those, that, that path to get here, not that I'm thankful that he passed because I don't think I would ever be able to say that, but like I was brought up in a household from a very independent person that just wouldn't take what the planet gave her and just, and would just bust her butt and do whatever it took for us kids.
0: And so. All right. Well, sorry for that question. No, no, no. Let, let's, let's We'll dovetail out. Uh, <laughs> you, you're raising money for this fund. You've got an, an incredible uh, path ahead of you. How, how does one get a hold of you, Brandon? The best way is probably
1: to book a time to talk with me. For anyone that's been able to get to this conversation, we've been talking to you for about 55 minutes here. <laughs> um, what I would do is the highest thing that I can offer you is probably time. It's the highest... So like value offered that I can give you. And if you were able to go this far, I would give you opportunity to talk to me directly. If you would go to the page on in the internet, it is my first name and last name.com, which I'll put it in the chat. If it's here, dot com. That's probably the best... Avenue to get a hold of me or call our office. Our office phone number is 847-380-8624. So that would be great to talk. If you're interested in anything that I have, questions on anything, I'd be happy to help answer all of your questions. I think this is a thing that I could talk on for eight hours. I think for us trying to cram all this into 45, I think you have been able to do good, but we are just like at the very
0: tip of the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg for sure. Okay. Well, we're going to, we're going to get underneath us, underneath 60 minutes by ending it now. <laughs> and uh, I will circle back with you. We're going to do this again next year and I will catch up where, w- with your progress. And I'm very, very impressed with what you're doing. And God bless, Thank man. Talk to you soon. All right, sir. All right. Thanks very much. All right, Brandon.